Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor and Miss Christie and the trio before. I'll just say it here publicly. I hope you sing that every time we come down here so we don't have to keep on asking for it at the last minute. You, just might, you should all plan for that every time we come down here. Can I get an amen from church on that? That sounds like a church vote to me, so we'll do that for sure. Now, Brother Billy was crying there during his singing, and uh, the difference between Brother Billy is if I was up here singing, uh, you'd be crying, hoping I would stop. <laughs> to have a guy that can look like him and preach like he does and still have his hair growing and to sing like he does, you got quite a great preacher. So it's so good to be back tonight. It really is. And uh, we're very excited again to have my wife and daughter here. And <clears throat> it's good to have the Salise family. The Salise family came. They're from Jonesboro, former missionaries to France. Got to know this family a little bit over the years. They sent their children and some people, young people from France to Heartland Baptist Bible College. But Salise attended Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College before it moved to Oklahoma City. They, go, they live in Jonesboro. Their son, Andrew, I'm a little bit more acquainted with. He's a second lieutenant in the U.S. Army. Graduated from West Point. And uh, quite an achievement on its own. But to go to West Point and to go in an independent fundamental Baptist and to come out an independent fundamental Baptist is quite a task. And he is, he is stationed currently at uh, Fort um, Hood, right? Isn't that correct? In Colleen, Texas. He was in Fort Sill in Lawton, Oklahoma, and for about six months, this young man drove over an hour every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday to go to Southwest Baptist Church. And I had the privilege of sitting beside him every service. He was introduced to me through Grace Landy, who used to be Grace Spolstra. Grace Spolstra's family used to be in France, and the Salises got to know them there as missionaries. And, uh, and I have to be honest with you, when I got to know Andrew Salise, their son, second lieutenant, I thought, may God give us more men like this in our military. He sets an example, a bar that is quite high. And so um, it's, it's just a real treat to have you all here this evening. And I know this church welcomes you in here for sure. It is always the time your pastor gives me a little bit of liberty to talk about the school here. I just want to say thanks. I can't talk about what God has done at Heartland without first saying thank you for your prayer support, your financial support, God's blessing. We graduated 98 students last May, so you can just picture all of them going into full-time ministry. I mean, honestly, around the world now, and uh, this year we'll start our 25th year of existence in California. We're celebrating the 25th anniversary the whole year. We're going to take our time doing it. We're very excited. Last Christmas, we had a very special blessing. Now, over Christmas break, I received a phone call from a local businessman who hires a lot of Heartland students in his business, particularly the young men he owns a lumber yard company, owns several lumber yards in the city, and he hires these men. And he's convinced that when he started to hire the Heartland students, that there became a righteous influence in the lumber yards. Because he would have some men that work out there just loading and unloading lumber that were rough. These were his own words. And he said the students just brought a sense of righteousness to his staff and to his employees. And he believes, this is what he testifies to me, not just once, but at many different lunches, that that has been a turnaround for even his company's uh, success, even as a profit company there in Oklahoma City, that the students just brought that to the company. So this Christmas, he called me and asked me if I could come down and meet him. And I just got changed. I was on the Christmas break, and we jumped down there. 
and I went to his office and we conversed a few minutes and then he gave me a, an envelope, a sealed envelope and said, here's a gift I'd like to give to the school. And he's done this before and it, it's been a couple of thousand dollars, which has been greatly appreciated each and every time, you know, at the end of the tax year and it's been a blessing. He's done that probably at least three different times. So the envelope was sealed. We just chit-chatted and chit-chatted and spent some time with him. And, you know, I'm trying to, trying to play it really cool, you know, like I'm wanting to ask so how much is it for, you know? I mean, come on, the check is in a sealed envelope. I'm not, I'm, I'm not wanting to peek through the light to see if I can see the amount, you know? And uh, I, so I just kind of didn't even ask. And so I said at the end of the, our meeting, I'm walking out, and I said, man, thank you so much, gave his name. And he said, I want to let you know, Brother Jeff, in my will, there's more for Heartland Baptist Bible College. And he just stopped me. I mean, that just stopped me right in his doorway. And so I just turned to him, I says, uh, may God give you a couple of good years of life and good health. <laughs> and may they be fruitful for you. And we laughed and he chuckled. And I went to the bank. I, obviously, it was in the middle of the school break. I didn't have a deposit slip. I don't walk around with deposit slips. I don't even, I'm not even on the checking account at Heartland. I don't do that purposefully. But I went into the, the bank and opened up the envelope so that I could go to the, the president of the bank and, and meet with him and, and deposit the check. And I opened up and it was for $400,000. So I just stopped and went back outside and cried in my car and then called him and I said, is this a mistake? Because this is a bad joke if this is a mistake. And he says, oh, no, no. And he says, that's just what God told me to do. And I said, well, man, have you, you taken care of your kids? And oh, yeah, they're fine, everybody. And he just made it sincere. He says, I want to I wanna give to what the Lord is doing at Heartland. And he says, Jeff, I see it as not just a gift of it just stops. It just, he says, I see it as it just multiplies and goes around the world exponentially. And so we deposited that. And so we had left on our original purchase of the property. We purchased the 26 acres and 12 buildings uh, in 1999 for $2.2 million. We had $300,000 of that loan still left. So we took $300,000 of the four and paid off that loan. That was a hallelujah time. And then we took that 100000 that was left over, and we put that towards the Art Wilson, a boys' dorm renovation that we're doing it right now. And then uh, we took that mortgage payment that we were paying on the first loan, and we combined that with the second loan that we have on the chapel building. So now we're snowballing it. You may have known of that term, we're snowballing it. So the point that when we come to May, this upcoming May, at our 25th graduation, our hope is, our prayer is, we're doing things right now on a regular basis, budgetarily speaking, that we could have that last loan nearly around $400,000. So we could see possibly that on our 25th anniversary celebration week in May, that we could possibly see that second loan be wiped out completely. Wouldn't it be a hallelujah for an independent fundamental Baptist college to be debt-free in 25 years? So we're asking, we're praying that all the churches that support and pray for the college, that they would give 25% this upcoming May more than prior, the 25% kind of tied into 25 years. And if we did that, our goal would be $1,250,000 versus $1,000,000, what is typically our May offering goal. We believe we could have the paying off of that last loan in sight. It would be wonderful. So if you'll pray about that, we're asking God to do that. We're not going to create any type of big machine to, to recreate anything or, or to pressure anybody, but we're just asking people to pray about that. So that's exciting. Um, thank you for sharing your pastor. He comes up and, and participates in the board meetings and we're going to have him come preach chapel here soon and thank you so much. And then after, preacher, if it's okay, I'd like to have a Heartland group picture if we can and have you and your family there as well 
and uh, that'll be fun. And uh, we've tried to do that every year we've here, and uh, it's so good. It's good to see some of the graduates now, and uh, it's good to see Katie Mosley. You know, when she came to Heartland, you know, you all know this to be true. We had to increase our security force. We really did. She's a rowdy gal, that's for sure. But since she's graduated, we've decreased our security force. And I understand that you all have increased your security now that she's, she's attending here again. I understand that. So it's good to see all of them. I'm really excited about this evening. The title of the message is this. It's got a couple of titles. Anybody can do it. Anybody can do it. Another title. Everybody should do it. Last title. It's the prayer request of the Lord. Why wouldn't we do it? It's a prayer request that the Lord gave us. Why wouldn't we do it? With that in mind, I'd invite your attention to Matthew chapter 9. Everybody can do it. Everyone ought to do it. Anybody can do it. Matthew chapter 9. If you don't mind standing for just the reading of a few verses, and we'll get started. I I get so nervous when I'm around pulpits. I I really do. I'm sincere about that. I'm even nervous about tonight, even though I preached this morning, and I I felt liberty. God gave liberty. I I feel like the Lord really met with us, but I'm, I'm nervous and and that just means that if you can help me as a guest preacher, I'm going to try to flip us along from, you know, I've got eight pages of notes and I want to bring us everybody together and, and end together. I really do. I want us to leave here on the same page. But uh, I have a teacher in me. I've got enough of a teacher in me that if I sense that someone isn't coming along with me, man, I'll go back over and over again to try to get you. I'll go back over and over again to get you to come with me. And so... If you're coming with me, just let me know by just a good amen, amen. Um, now, if you throw in a bunch of amens, just get me done quickly. That's wicked and ungodly. And I'll, I'll call you out on that. I'll call you out on that, all right? So let's just kind of go along together. But with Matthew chapter 9, let's look at verse 35. <clears throat> and Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with, what's that next word? On them. I'm going to insert the word why. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he, Jesus, unto his disciples. The harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are, what's that next word? Pray. Ye, therefore the Lord of the harvest, 
that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. He gives us the problem and he gives us the solution. He gives us the problem and he gives us the solution. Anybody can do it. Everybody should do it. This is the Lord's prayer request. Heavenly Father, bless this time. Lord, if we have been negligent, forgive us. Thank you for being patient with us. We who would call ourselves your children, we would call ourselves the redeemed, we would call ourselves those that have been harvested by laborers. Lord, would you this evening help us to take apart this thought that we've read here this evening and Lord, may we package it up again and walk out of this building with a clearer understanding of what it is that you just presented as a prayer request. We ask it in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Uh, there, there's, there's a danger of preaching this passage, knowing your pastor, knowing because he's a Bible preacher, and because you've been in church, many of you, for a long time, you've heard many messages right out of this verse, right out of these verses, and I'm, I'm sure of that. There's no doubt about it. But it's kind of like, well, it's kind of like eating pizza. I mean, just because I had pizza one time doesn't mean I'm not going to eat pizza again. I eat pizza a lot. Can I get an amen? It's like fried chicken. Just because I had fried chicken doesn't mean I'm not going to eat fried chicken again. I'm going to have fried chicken again. Sometimes we just eat, need to eat something over and over again, and, it, and it's good for us. And that's what this is going to be this evening. It, it, it gives us an idea. There's, there's this idea that Jesus was busy. And in our text, I think it's interesting because we actually see what, what I would call, what, what I would refer to as the heart of Jesus at this time of his ministry. It may be that there's feelings here or, or it's the passion of Christ as, as, as he looks upon the multitudes who are weary. He, he looks upon them and they're scattered. We could say this. He looked at the society that was there before him and it was very obvious that they were struggling as they are wandering through life aimlessly without any clear direction. He saw a multitude of people walking through life in an aimless way. I think it's easy to say that the society that we live in today is much like that itself without any clear direction. Do you agree with me on that? Without any clear purpose. Christ saw the condition and he called the society multitudes. And then it says, the word says that he was moved with compassion on them. It does not say that he gave them a lecture. It does not say that he gave them money. It says that he was moved with compassion. We are given his feelings. We're told of his emotion. This is moving with compassion towards them. The word compassion has several meanings, but it's, it's like he's yearning for them. He's, he's, he's got sympathy for them, and he has pity for them, and it's, and it's all wrapped up inside of this one word, sympathy. It's, it's moving him towards them. 
What brings our Savior to the point is a great question. What brought Christ to this point? He, he, he's been, he's seen the multitudes before. This isn't a new, new look for him. He's seen society before and he's seen the wickedness of people before. He's, he's seen the scatterness. But Christ just did not have one enlightening moment and say, wow, this is what society looks like. That's not what this is. He's, he's seen it before. But for some reason, at this moment, as he looks upon the multitude, does he have this emotion, this, this compassion before, about them and towards them? We know that he's always had compassion. He's, he's always had that. But there's a burst of compassion. It's almost like there's this sudden burst of compassion at this point of his ministry and of his life. He's always cared for them. But there's an overwhelming amount of caring that seems to take place right at this point. So what brings him to this place? Well, quite frankly, to be honest with you, up to this point, everything seems to be going very well. I mean, Jesus is doing what Jesus does. If we are going to really find out and dig into what brought Christ to this point... I think we need to go back a little further into this scene, into this, this passage. And what builds up to this moment of this emotional burst, this moment of love, this moment of care, this moment where he just, he just is bursting with compassion. we got to go back into chapter 9 and, and follow this, this journey. So with that in mind, we, let's look at what Jesus is, is doing. And what does Jesus do? Well, he's busy in this passage. We could actually go all the way back to, to verse, verse 2, but for, for time's sake, we'll not. We'll, we'll kind of just bring it back to where we need to see it, where he's actually brought a leper, is brought to him, and this, this man of sick of the palsy to him, and, and then some others come to Jesus, and people just keep on coming to the Lord with their needs, and this is what is happening. We come to verse 14, and I, I want to draw your attention to it there. Verse 14 says, and whosoever shall not receive you, excuse me, verse 14, let me go back to it. Let me find it real quickly. Then came, verse 14, then came to him the disciples of John saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus is, is there and the, the disciples, uh, they come to him and they ask him a question. Why do the Pharisees, why do we and the Pharisees fast often? So Jesus sits down while he's healing people and he teaches them. And for the next few verses, Jesus is taking time, and don't miss this, don't miss this, they come and they ask a serious Bible question. And Jesus sits down, or perhaps he was standing there, and he teaches them the truth of this very important question that they asked. They're sincere in this question, and he takes time. And so he's interrupted from healing people to teach his disciples the truth. But then he gets interrupted and we look down at verse 18, and we, we see that he's interrupted again. And a group has now come uh, alongside of him, and he's responding to them. And, and, and we don't even know uh, if there's the lesson that he was teaching the disciples even gets complete. But while he spake of these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and, and she shall live. And so Jesus is approached again by some people saying, we don't understand this teacher. He takes time to teach them. And then he's interrupted by someone who says, my daughter is dead, come and heal her. 
It's almost like, well, wait a minute, um, I'm teaching. No, Jesus doesn't say, wait a minute, I'm teaching. He, he stops and then he goes and he deals with this and, 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 and he, gets, he gets busier. And in verses 19 and 20, we, we see there that, that, that Jesus arose and he followed that man and, and so did his disciples. And, and behold, then while he was going to, to heal that young girl, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood for 12 years came behind him and she touched the hem of his garment. And he's confronted there. He's on his way to go heal somebody. The disciples that he just got done teaching are following him, and he's then touched with this lady that has a need. And then, and then he's interrupted by somebody again, and, and he's going to help him, and on his way to help him, he's interrupted again. And it's just an incredible thing. People are coming from all over to, to be touched by Jesus. He's busy. He goes to help this man's daughter. We can see in verses 19 and 22 that he heals her. Jesus is busy. He's busy doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's busy doing his ministry. And he's successful at it. As a matter of fact, he's extremely successful at it. You and I would call this, this has been a good day for the Lord. He's been ministering. He's been touching people. He's been teaching. He's been preaching. He's been healing. He's been doing what his father sent him to do. It's been a good day. He's been busy in ministry. And he's been successful. Then he heals the daughter and he leaves there. And then in verse 27, when he's departed, two blind men follow him crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. Heal us. Jesus takes time, and he heals the two blind men. Then we go on to verse 32, as they went out, and behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil. I mean, this is a busy day. We go all the way back to verse 2 and verse 10 and all the verses I've referenced. What a, what a lesson we have. He's teaching and he's interrupted. This person needs help. And so he's on his way to help some more people. And then he's interrupted again. And then finally we get to the verse that started it. It's a constant thing. Constantly people are coming to Jesus, asking him questions, asking for help. In a sense, it's been relentless. I think we should say, this is what his ministry has been. But for a moment, he stops and he just looks up. He stops in the busyness of all of this ministering to those that have come to him. And he just sees this. How many there are that are not coming that he can't help because they're not coming. He, he has in his mind, there's a lot of them. Oh, there's a lot that have interrupted me today, but there's a multitude that haven't even come. In this moment, he says this in my mind, it's almost like he's saying, I can help those ones who come to me those ones that catch me on the roadside, 
those ones that come into my presence, those ones that I can reach out and heal. I can teach those ones that come to me and ask me questions, but there's a whole lot of them who aren't coming to me. This is where the burst of emotion starts to really start to fuel itself. He says those are the ones that Jesus is noticing at this point in time. He looks up and sees the multitude that aren't coming. He's approached by one person after another, but there's a large group that are not coming to him. They're not flooding him saying, help me, heal me. But they need his help. They need to be healed. And they need a direction. And they're not the ones asking for him. They're not coming to him. I want to take a look at a few things just very briefly. Tying it all into verse 36. And if you don't mind, we'll... We'll draw our attention to it, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. He sees the multitude and he sees that they have a weary spirit. We're told in verse 36, they were weary and they fainted and to have that means that they literally had a body that was just weary. They wanted to quit because of the inability to go on. What he saw was a people that were physically worn out, not able to even go on. They would say this, I can't keep fighting. My marriage is, is just too much. I can't keep trying to run my home as the leader. It's just too much. I cannot keep trying to keep everything balanced in my life. It's just too much. I cannot keep fighting to pay my bills. I am just worn out. They're tired. They're ready to give in, give up. He is saying, when I looked out there, I see people that are weary and they are fainting. They're ready to quit. They're ready to give it up. And he says, they may put a smile on their face, but when they are close to giving up, you can see it when you get close to them. He says they're scattered, not only weary, but scattered. You know what that word means? It means to be thrown about, tossed about. It looks like nothing is planned where they are. It's almost like, guess how many people in this country planned on getting a divorce? Guess how many people planned in this country to become alcoholics? Guess how many people planned to become addicted to gambling, to pornography? That's a scattered person's life without any direction. So Jesus saw they're scattered about, no direction. They just kind of thrown about Live from circumstance to circumstance. They're ready to faint, ready to give it up. This is what Jesus saw when he saw the society. They're all going in different directions. There's no form of leadership in their life. There's no form of direction. They're just being thrown about. They were unguided people. They were a sheep. They, they were guided by their emotions or their circumstances or by disease. They're just thrown about. 
They didn't live a Christian life where they could be led by the Holy Spirit. They didn't have any of that. A little bit of application. Do you know I find that we, and I mean that including myself, can be so busy with everybody that approaches us that we forget that there's a multitude that is still out there that's not approaching us. And they need the gospel and what we have just the same as everybody that approaches us. Sometimes we just need to stop in the busyness of ministering and look up and see the multitudes with some compassion. Sometimes, some more application, we don't look up and we don't see the multitudes and when it happens, we get really good at being a really good church. By that I mean this, every visitor comes in, we have it down. Visitor's cards, a book, a gift, a gift bag, an invitation, a free book, and we have it down. Some, somebody there to follow them up, somebody there to follow up the follow-up. I mean, we have church life down. We've got it down. That means it's anybody who comes to us, who comes into us, who comes from out there to us, we've already got it prepared. We've got it set. We've got a system down. We, we are ready and we can stay busy with all this. I mean, it, it, we can stay real busy on those who come to us, and we should. For, for those who email us, we stay busy at keeping them on the email list. And for those who are, who are checking in, who are following, or who are visiting, those who need counseling, we, we give them some help. And I mean, we should be doing that. But the problem that the Lord is pointing out to us in this passage is that there's a whole multitude of people that are still out there that are not coming in to find Jesus. They're a multitude that are not coming in. And, and our Lord looks up from his busy ministry day and his reaction has emotionally affected him with his compassion. And this word compassion, there's so many different descriptions, but there's, there's one to say to make it very clear. It's, it's in his bowels that he yearns for them. We see this statement not only for, for time's sake, but in, in Genesis we see it there that he, d- d- Joseph talks about his, his bowels yearning for his brother. He's alive, he's alive when he realizes that Benjamin is alive. How many of you think that we could, we could be content from the distance to say, hey, I'm praying for you. Maybe Jesus would say this. I want you to be praying so much that you're moved to go and to grab that person and hold on to them and to bring them to Jesus. You know, Jesus understood that. He was here for for his time. His time was set in place. Jesus' time was set just like your time is set and my time is set. You will not live forever on this earth. You and I will not have forever to reach the lost. We'll have a certain amount of time. And Jesus' time is fixing to end here. And he tells us that he isn't going to have enough time to personally touch each one of them physically. He looked out And he saw how many there were. 
He compared that to his timeline. He knew when his time was done. Through his time frame, he knew there's no way. They're not even approaching me, Jesus would say. There's no way that I can reach them. They're not even coming to me. And so he says, they're not coming to me. They're not asking me. When people come, I will help and I will heal and I will be there. I've been doing that all day. But he's trying to say to the disciples, but, but I'm not going to be here much longer. He's always ready to offer help, but his time is, is soon to be gone. And so he looks up and he sees the multitude and he now starts to be moved with compassion and he shares with, with his disciples a burden. Imagine he having, having, having the peace that Jesus would have, but he has a burden for the lost still. Still realizing that society, they, they, they don't have it. You might even look upon the multitudes and realize that guy's got his act together. But if he doesn't have Jesus in his heart, he's on his way to hell. He's aimlessly wandering through life. He might look like he has it all figured out, but he doesn't have the Holy Spirit to go to. He doesn't have a prayer life. He doesn't even have a Savior. He doesn't even have a Lord. He doesn't even acknowledge the Bible can give him guidance. He's aimless. He's living from luck to luck or circumstance to circumstance, and he's aimless, scattered. They're all over the place. They're all over Oklahoma City. They're all over Covington. They're all over Atlanta. They're all over this whole wide world, scattered, multitudes of them. This very moment, Jesus was teaching and healing, but he stops and he looks up. And he's looking at everything right in front of his face. And he says, there's a whole lot more stuff to be done out there. Yeah, there's been a lot of people we've touched today. They've come inside and we've met with them. But there's a whole lot more people out there that still need to be got brought in. And he says this. And he says unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous. But the laborers are what? Few. He is troubled by this. He is burdened by this. He says the harvest is plenteous. It's, it's huge. There's so much to be harvested out there. It just simply means plenteous are the weary. Plenteous are those that are worn out. Plenteous are those that are scattered. Plenteous are those that are hurting. There's no shortage but when he makes this statement that we've heard so many times, please don't let it just become a noise. He says this, the laborers are few. The laborers are few. I want you to get the context of this. He does not say the disciples are few. He does not say the, few, the disciples are few. He says the laborers are few. He doesn't say the disciples are few. I want you to get this. He just finished teaching a group. He does not say that those that are interested in Christ are few. He just got done teaching a pretty sizable group. He doesn't say that they're few. He's confronted all the time. But he says the laborers are few. He's not saying, by the way, the laborers. He's saying the laborers. And by saying the laborers, he's not saying this. He's not saying... We need people to work in the kitchen. 
That's not the context of this passage. That's not the context of what Jesus is saying. And I like kitchen workers. But that's not the context. He is not saying, but when he says there's laborers or few, he is not saying that we need more ushers. That's not the context of what Jesus is saying. He says, I need somebody not to do some cooking in the kitchen or to usher those that are brought in, but I need somebody to go out to the ones who are not coming to me yet. He says it's, it's not going to be easy. That's why he calls it laborers. He said they're out there. It's labor. It's work. But because you're convincing somebody of a need that they don't even know that they have yet. He said these people, this is, this is not easy. These are laborers. It's easy, and I don't mean this in any negative way, but it's easy to minister in church when people come to church. It's easy to lead somebody to the Lord when they raise their hand and they want to get saved. It's easy to lead a young boy to the Lord in a Sunday school class. He came to church and he got saved, but there's people out there that don't even know they need the gospel. They don't even know they need Jesus. They're weak. And scattered, thrown about. They're fainted. They're without a shepherd, no guidance. They think a pill, a bottle, a shot, another relationship, a job, a bank account will take care of it, and they're lost. And he says this it's easy to stand here, guys, and minister with me, and the disciples were. But he says, that's easy. But we need somebody to go and labor. To go out there to get those that haven't even come yet. Jesus says this. Just kind of making my own thought here. Boys. Boys. You better start praying now because my time is coming to an end and I'm not going to be able to get all of them. You had better start praying now that somebody goes after them because they are not coming to you. You're going to have to go get them. We live in a world of hurting people. And we see this prayer for laborers. We see this, this missing group of people that haven't come. And he does not say it's disciples that we need more of. He says we mean more laborers. And he says laborers are few again. Now, don't miss this thought. He is busy with what he is doing right here. Right here and right here and right here. And then finally he stops in the middle of the busyness of ministry. He stops in the busyness of his ministry. And he stops and he looks up. And he sees a multitude of people that aren't even coming to him. That don't even know. He says, you better pray. Because you guys are going to need more laborers. This harvest is huge. He's not talking about church laborers. No, we, he had a lot of people right there helping him. Yep. But he is talking about ones who will go 
to those who are not looking. In other words, this might be a missionary. You know, a missionary goes to countries and to places in the world where there's people that don't even know about Jesus. They've never heard of it. They've they've never heard about Christianity. They've never heard about the Lord. Missionaries go. Missionaries are their laborers. This could also look like a church planter. Church planters go to to communities all around this country and they they plant churches where there is no gospel preaching church. It's a church planter. Could be a church planter. Could be a pastor. Pastors go and preach to people that don't know about the gospel. Could be a staff member as well. It could also mean you. Back in uh, 1983, there was a man named Ralph. Ralph Heron. He was an engineer at the Kennedy Space Center. He was a Sunday school teacher of a young adult class. And he was a Sunday school teacher of the class that I should be in at this time. My dad and mother went up to him and said, Ralph, our son is lost and on his way to hell. I wasn't coming to church other than when I had to. When I lived at home, I had to go to Sunday morning church or I would get it big time. So if church began at 11 o'clock, I got to church at 11.10. And I sat on the back row. And that preacher said, standing for the invitation, I was running out the door, satisfying my parents' wish. But then Ralph decided to go after me, to go out there. And for 11 months, not 11 weeks, not 11 visits, 11 months every week on visitation, soul winning night. Ralph and his wife, Pat, would show up at my door and present the gospel to me 11 months straight. You know what he did? He was laboring, Brother Billy. That was work. He had to go. I didn't think I had that need. I thought I was just fine. At least that's what the top of me would think. But in my heart... I knew I was lost. But the Lord tells us to pray for more laborers. But that's what a laborer looks like. Someone who will go. Someone will go here in Covington and someone that will go around the world too. You might say, well, are you trying to get us to where we can pray for God to call a a missionary out of our church? Well, that's not a bad problem. Can I get an amen on that? But God's not going to call a missionary out of this church if that missionary isn't him, that pre-missionary isn't already going right here. God's not going to call and then make somebody a soul winner there in, in, in East Africa. He's going to have to be a goer, a laborer here. Yep. But God is giving us a prayer request. And it's very, very simple. Just stop for a moment in the busyness of your ministry. And I want you to just look up. We would not have to go too far right down, was this Old Salem Road? To go right down to Old Salem Road to Walmart. And I think within 30 minutes, we will see probably three times the crowd 
that we have here at 30 minutes in Walmart. Yep. Yep. There's a lot of people in this area that are lost. They don't even know it. They don't even know it. And the only way they're going to know it is somebody goes and gets them. And the Lord told us to pray. Maybe eight years ago, Brother Gaddis preached a Wednesday night message right out of this passage about praying for more laborers. It happened to be Wednesday night that I was at home not preaching. Brother Davidson was at home not preaching. That night he called me and he says, Jeff, I need to talk to you. I said, okay. I said, before you do it, man, I can't wait until you get done doing what you, done telling me what you want to tell me because I can't wait to tell you what the Lord spoke to me about at church. And he says, you're kidding me. So I said, no. And he says, well, you tell me what God spoke to you about first. And so I told him how God spoke to me right out of this passage that at Heartland we had, we never put on this great big recruiting machine. We always detested that thought. But we just always just said, you know, boy, sure would like it if the Lord would, would send us more. But you know what we were not completely lacking on, but we weren't focused on really in a regular routine way. We weren't praying and asking God to send more laborers. And it's right here that the Lord actually tells us to pray for more laborers. And at that point, eight years ago, the next day, Brother Sam and I met on campus and we had a staff meeting and we just changed our whole mindset of the staff that we are to pray for more laborers, for God to call more laborers into his harvest. And being a Bible college, it would only make sense that we would then ask him to send them to Heartland. That just makes sense. And so we started to do. Do you know what started to happen at that point? We started to grow. Little by little, we started to see more laborers being called. Well, who are laborers? You know who laborers are? Those that have been already harvested. Laborers comes from this pool of those that have already been harvested. Somebody's already labored and they've received the gospel and they've been harvested now. And the Lord of the harvest calls more laborers into his harvest and he calls them from those that already have been what? Harvested. Where does that come from? The harvested don't come from Bible college. Those are the ones that have been called to be laborers and then to be trained. Those that are harvested, those laborers come from churches just like yours. And so I'm going to ask you something here tonight. First, when was the last time you as an individual, this is, this is to be applied to us, when was the last time as an individual you just asked God to call more laborers into his harvest? Why? Because there's a multitude of people out there that are worn and scattered and faint and they're on their way to hell and they don't even know it. Many of them attend churches and they believe the lies that their churches are teaching them and they think that if they just do what the church tells them to do that they'll go to heaven. That's a lie from the pit of hell. They think they're, in Boston we'd say, I'm all set, I'm all set. They think they're all set. There's a lot of people like that. And we're supposed to pray. So when have you as an individual prayed? When was the last time you prayed that God would call more laborers into his harvest. And if you're really going to have that prayer internally, if you're really going to mean it in your heart, there's nothing wrong with saying, 
And Lord, if it's someone from Canaan, we'd be thrilled. We'd be thrilled that if you called some laborers from Canaan. But God isn't just going to just snap and make somebody a laborer. God's going to need to see people here that are laboring, going out and getting those. And you can do that in your daily job, your daily life. You can do that through church visitation. You can do that through an organized opportunity. But there's no reason why you couldn't do it. Yep. You know what Ralph Heron did? Not only did he come see me on visitation night, but he was a beekeeper too. He was an engineer at the Space Center, and he did bees on the weekend. So he kind of made up a big story that he needed my help on the weekends. So he asked me to help him with his bees. So he'd pick me up at 5 a.m. on Saturday mornings as an unsaved adult male. And he would say, would you help me go to my bee yards? And we'd drive around all over central Florida into the swamps where the palmetto bushes were and the palm trees. And he'd have a little beehive stash there. And he says, I need your help lifting those boxes. Brother Autry, he didn't need my help lifting those boxes. He was trying to win me to Christ. But you know, laborers get tired. I'll never forget the day when he said to me, Jeff, I've come here and I've tried to tell you about hell. I've tried to tell you about heaven. I've told you that if I could go to hell and take that penalty for you, I would. If I could beat you into submission to get saved, I would do it and he could have done it. He said, I've sent the prettiest girls from the church by to convince you to come to church. And he sent some pretty, pretty ones by. But he said this, I'm about done. I don't think I can keep coming back. You know what he was? He started to get worn out. You got somebody you've been working on lately? And you feel worn out? You've tried and you've tried. You think you're not even getting through it all. But when he said that to me, my heart just arrested. It stopped. I said, ah, you know, to myself, I hope you don't quit coming back. They just left that evening. Next week, I heard that knock on the door again. They came back. The week later, I trusted Christ as my Savior. It's labor. It's work, and you got to go. And we are supposed to be praying that there be more laborers. Would you do two things this evening? Would you please take time during this invitation, just take time to be obedient to the pastor's, excuse me, the Lord's prayer request to pray for more laborers. And would you please put that down on your personal prayer list. It's on mine. I could show you on my phone praying for more laborers. And would you do this? Would you do this and say, God, if you call any of us here from Canaan to be a laborer, it's okay by me. Would you give, would you give anybody away at Canaan to God's harvest? Wow. Yeah. The Lord's asking for that. Because those that are laborers are those that have been harvested. And if you've been fortunate enough to be harvested, more than likely, somebody labored to some degree to get the gospel into your family. 
Would you dare bend your knee and be obedient this evening to the Lord's prayer request? Would you dare join us at Heartland in praying that God will call more laborers? I had several people ask me this morning, how's Heartland going? How can we pray for the school? Here's how you can pray for the school, that the Lord would call more laborers because we want to be a school that's obedient to the Lord's prayer request. And then would you do this? Would you consider being the next Ralph Heron? The layman? The Kennedy Space Center employee that just had compassion for a 20-year-old adult male who just pretended everything was okay. It wasn't okay. I was on my way to hell. Would you dare do that tonight? The quietness of your heart during the invitation time. Would you say, Lord, I'm going to pray for more laborers. I'm sorry I haven't been. And Lord, if you call young, middle-aged, whatever. You don't have to be a teenager to be called. I was 30 years old, already five years into career at the Kennedy Space Center, three years as a banker prior to that, and God called me at 30. Yep. You don't need to be 18 to be called. And plus, you need to be doing what a laborer does around the seas. There's no reason to expect a mission around the world just to be doing this. We need to be doing this right here at home. Can I get an amen? amen? Laboring. I'm not talking about working here Sunday morning. That's great. Those are the ones that are coming. But going out there and getting them. Would you stand with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if those that are going to help us with the invitation. I'm going to ask you as a guest preacher, if I can just have your attention for one more moment. I don't know you well enough to know this. To for sure how to conduct the invitation. But if you're going to do business with God this evening, you have to give me a physical sign. If you're going to do business with God, I don't want to extend the invitation. I don't want to carry it on too long. You have to let me know. That is either done one of two ways. Either come to the front and pray. Then I'll know you need more time. Or you be seated in your pew, and then I know you're doing business with God. If you're standing, and that's okay, you're giving me a physical sign, manifesting it, I'm done. I don't need any more time. And then once everybody is standing, then we know the Spirit of God is done moving and we'll close the invitation time down. Let's have a word of prayer and then just have our invitation song. Heavenly Father, bless this time. Lord, do what only you can do. Lord, if you would, I pray, would you meet with us? Lord, I even heard Brother Child say to me this evening and Brother Autry as well, Lord, that you would just come down and meet with us. Lord, but we're so naive. But Lord, we want to recognize that if you do meet with us, we believe we'll be changed. Lord, would you change us all tonight? We ask it in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, if you're going to do business with God, either come to the front or be seated there in your pew. That will give me as a visiting speaker some type of physical sign you're doing business with God.